0: Welcome to the Expats in Dubai show, your home for deeper news, behind the scenes and real life stories. Hey everyone, it's Amber Wahid, and welcome to the Expats in Dubai show. There is a right time for everything. After being an expert for 12 years in Dubai, my guest today decided to move back to his home country. Lawrence Hill worked as a senior level manager for CETA, an airport transport communication and IT company with headquarters in Geneva and with offices all around the world, including Dubai. And Lawrence transferred from the London office to the Dubai office with the task of managing the Middle East and Africa arms of the business. Before the pandemic, Lawrence made the decision to retire and move back to England. He's had an incredible expat life with incredible life lessons, and we're going to discuss it all. They say moving to a foreign country is as hard as moving back to your home country. Well, let's get Lawrence's take on that. Hi, Lawrence. Thanks for coming on the show. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me.
0: You are welcome. Now, I know you had a lot going on recently celebrating your milestone birthday. Can I ask? Uh,
1: Yes, I celebrated my 70th birthday. Wow. Uh, It was a great time, great time, but um, yes, I I can't believe it myself.
0: That's a whole different podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely.
0: And you are living in which part of the UK?
1: I'm um, living in uh, between Northampton and Kettering, out in, in, the, uh, in the countryside near a place called Pittsford Reservoir, which is um, a bird sanctuary and uh, some lakes. It's very nice to walk around.
0: Well, let me take you all the way back to when you first decided to work abroad. How did that come about and how did you end up in the middle of a desert?
1: Well, actually, this happened almost completely by chance. Um, I was working in London. But it was quite a commute uh, in and out every day uh, from where I was living at the time. And then I was also going through a divorce after 28 years of marriage. So um, subsequently, my boss at the time moved to CETA in Dubai. Um, And in late 2001, early 2002, um, he asked me to join him as his operations manager.
0: Perfect. So you worked as a senior manager in the industry. Tell us about that role.
1: Um, initially it was just uh, the UAE Qatar and Cyprus I mean who knew who knew Cyprus was in Africa I, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it very quickly evolved into um, more in Africa and in actual fact that became the predominant area where I was working
0: so you met an interesting mix of people then
1: yes absolutely um, all different cultures operate in, a, in a, a very different way and you have to learn how to how to deal with them uh, based upon that.
0: And, Lawrence, you stayed with Sita the entire 12 years that you were working in Dubai.
1: Yes, I did. Yes, absolutely. I thought I was only going to be there for two years. but uh,
0: Oh, the famous two-year plan. <laughs>
1: the, the famous two-year plan, yes. But time just flew by, absolutely flew by. I think my entire... Uh, working life I've always looked for a change after two years but I found that working with CETA um, every two years or even more frequently everything was so dynamic everything was changing anyway Um, so there was always different things going on to interest me and keep me uh, focused on the job and, 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 and enjoying it and having fun. I had lots of fun travelling. We could a, Another whole podcast I could tell you about my <laughs> travelling stories.
0: Well, I think that's the great thing about working for international companies out here in the Middle East. There's so much scope. There's so much that you can explore. Um, Lawrence, I want to ask you, during your time working in CETA, you were living in Murdiff, renting a villa. You never thought about buying a property. You were never even tempted Because I think a one bed in the Greens, when they first came to the market, was something like only 400,000 dirhams, just before the boom in 2005, 2007, when the buying market just exploded. Uh,
1: No, I didn't. Um, As soon as it became allowed for non-nationals to own property, a few of my colleagues were buying property or, or considering it. I was still undecided because I felt at the time that as quickly as the authorities had granted permission to buy in and only in certain areas, they could just as easily change their minds. The situation regarding automatic right to residency was also still a little unclear at that time. Plus, I just recently bought a lovely nineteenth-century cottage in a little village in England, um, and was always knowing I would be going back to that. So I had no intention of selling up, and so uh, no, I just didn't. I just didn't bother with it. I just continued to. Uh, to rent a property, which uh, absolutely suited me.
0: And also, Lawrence, you were also not just lucky in your job, you were also lucky in love. You know, I did an episode on relationships in Dubai only last week and my guest Fahana and I were discussing this popular belief that it's impossible to find your partner here in Dubai, but you actually found Marital Bliss.
1: Uh, Yes, I actually did. Um, As it turned out, I met my future wife literally within a few months of arriving in Dubai. That was frightening. Um, I had not dated anyone for nearly 30 years. And I was definitely not looking for love or anywhere, anyone to share my life with. Um, I was clearly not in any hurry because we actually didn't get married until 14 years later. (laughs) Uh,
0: I want to talk about. I want to move on to um, Dubai itself. Now, what did you find the most challenging um, at the time as an expert?
1: Just just settling into to a new way of life. It was it was so different to when I was working in London. I mean, London was always a big commute. It was it was a, a, a lot of time and effort to get there, and then. Charging around was, but when I first arrived in Dubai, it was it was a ten minute commute to work, and there was very little traffic on the road, and it was the sun was shining. It was it was blissful. But then you you almost became quite lackadaisical, But you couldn't because you still had to be very uh, aware of what you were doing because you know the in business they they don't suffer fools gladly. But you know I was struggling a little bit with the culture in terms of dealing with Muslims, which I, I hadn't done before, and I had to make sure that, you know, I didn't do the wrong thing, shake a lady's hand. Uh, the multitude of happy, smiley faces of people walking around was, was so much different here, the, the friendliness of the, of the locals. Uh, sorting out somewhere to live, obtaining a driving licence, Emirates ID, the DEWA, that sort of thing, that could have been a little challenging. But for me anyway, there was always somebody there to help you. And and indeed, sometimes somebody would actually go and do it for you. They would just ask me to sign a few papers and they'd disappear and then come back. And it was all sorted out for me. So that was amazing, and that which goes back to the fact of how friendly and helpful everybody was.
0: It sounds like you had a nice, easy transition from London to Dubai. And that that's good to know. Um, I just want to touch now on savings, which is, of course, very important when you're an expat out here to save for your future. First, you made this comment to me before that sometimes you viewed the local currency as monopoly money. And you know what? I've heard that from a lot of expats out here.
1: Yes, I did. Uh, where it became, I became very aware of it. it was usually on my trips back to the UK. You know, I'd come back to the UK and... I'd, I'd go and buy a cup of coffee and, and, and a piece of cake and it'd cost me five or six pounds. And I'd go, what? You know, that seemed expensive. Um, but because, because I think I saw the true value of my home country's currency. But in Dubai, if I would had bought the same thing and spent even 50 dirhams for it, I wouldn't have batted an eyelid at it. And, and I found that basically I, w- I would go out and I would just, you would spend 100 dirhams on a taxi. You would, I never had to think about the value of the money I was spending, which did lead me on to thinking, well, I'm spending all this money. I'd better start thinking about saving some of this (laughs) money or else I'm not going to have any left by the time I get home.
0: And you decided to invest some of your savings. This is back in 2008. And financial advisory fraud wasn't so much spoken about as it is now. And you became a victim of this type of fraud, unfortunately. Again, it was because you trusted your financial advisor who was recommended to you and had become a friend over the years.
1: Yes. Uh, when I look back now, I was terribly naive and trusting. Uh, maybe it was the, the whole laid back way of life and the friendliness, etc. But that's, that's what caused it. But I'm normally very cautious um, and, I, and, and I trusted no one. Um, ironically, I'd, I'd already rejected several companies who just cold called me wanting to get hold of my money. But I was, if I can use the word, I was I was suckered into uh, letting my guard down when I was uh, recommended to somebody. And, and, and I never thought to carry out any checks on this guy. I thought, well, my, my, my friend, my colleague is working with this guy. He's recommending him. Why is there any need? To, uh, to check. Uh, and so I, I I just didn't. That was a big mistake.
0: <laughs> and you also, Lawrence, lost your pension. How did that happen?
1: Well, not entirely, but um, I was advised by the financial advisor that, uh, at, again, at the time, times did change, that I, I had got a, a pension pot back in the UK, which at the time, when it came to fruition, would have to be put specifically into an, an equity and then it would be managed by somebody else and they would take their fees and and I wouldn't get as much as I would do. Whereas because I was an expat uh, and had been out of the country for a specific period of time, the laws allowed me to cash in that pension, take the money and then reinvest it, hopefully, to provide for my future through that method without having to get a whole other management company involved in looking after my money for me.
0: But, Lawrence, I have to add, you were smart. Um, Okay, you got suckered by this financial advisor, but you did diversify your savings. And I think that is what saved you, really.
1: Uh, Yes, indeed. Uh, Luckily, or or cleverly, whichever way you want to look at it. uh, Yes, I did. Um, Although I was working with a financial advisor with certain things, um, I had other things where I had diversified. I bought some property. Obviously, I had my own property in the UK, but I bought a, a, another property in the UK. Uh, my wife was from the Philippines. We, we had a couple of properties in the Philippines, So, and, and I had some separate savings as well. So that was completely away, was not even discussed with my financial advisor at all. That was entirely down to me as a second string to my bow, which ultimately, as you say, did pretty much save me.
0: And what advice can you give to others who are thinking of investing?
1: Well, absolutely, you need to do that um, because most people work abroad because they think they can earn a lot more money. So, yes, that's great, but you need to protect that money. So invest it, yes, but don't put all your eggs in one basket. Make sure that your money spread out in various areas, just straightforward savings, buy property. That's always a relatively safe way of of having money, but just make sure that uh, if things do go bad, you you're not going to lose it all in in one go.
0: And for those who have lost a lot of money due to um, misadvice and misrepresentation, how can they get past this glib in their lives?
1: Obviously, you can go down the legal route. Uh, it's often very difficult and can be very expensive. And there's always that choice. You know, is it good money after bad? And so you have to just make that decision dependent on how much you may or may not have lost, whether it's, it's worth spending a lot more money in order to recover it. Ultimately, as in my case, I just had to suck it up and say, well, look, I made a, a bad choice. I've got to move on. Luckily, because of my diversity, it wasn't the end of the world. And just carry on, just put it behind you. Um, it, it'll eat you up. Otherwise, you know, just if you feel sort of vindictive in any way, which is it's just a waste of your time.
0: Let's move on to the moving back process. So what paperwork did you have to arrange before you left Dubai and in the UK?
1: Very little. I mean, other than the normal process of giving your landlord notice or settling your Dewa bills, in my case, there was no other paperwork required other than buying a flight and getting on an aeroplane and flying home. And that was pretty much it. That simple. Uh, so it, it, was, it was simplicity itself. Um I, I did have a three month notice period, so it did give me a reasonable amount of time to wind down things, sell things off that I wanted to do that I wasn't going to bring back. So there was that element of it. But in terms of actual paperwork, very little, very little involved indeed.
0: That's really surprising to know.
1: No, even even from the, uh, the, the tax perspective, um, I was always classed as being UK based. Uh, because I had a property here and, and I was um, I had was renting that out. So I had an income in the UK as well. So although I was recognized as being expatriated, uh, when I came back, as a, the, the term that the UK uses, you are normally resident in the UK, um, which sounds a bit odd when you've been out of the country for 12 years. Yeah. Um I had a tax return to fill out, but then I was filling out tax returns every year anyway. So that was no difference. But now I'm not having to fill out any tax returns at all um, because I don't have any income other than my my pension.
0: So now you've moved back. You're permanently in the UK. Living in the UK is different to visiting. So when you touch down on home soil as a British citizen, how did you feel the UK had changed in the 12 years you were an expat? What seemed different?
1: One of the things that struck me immediately was everybody here, and this may sound terrible, but I'm going to use the word, everybody here seemed angry. Nobody I got so used to the friendliness and the laid-back approach in Dubai. Here, everybody shouts at you and blares their horns if you get even close to them. And I, I just got that awful impression that, um, you know, oh, goodness me, you guys... You need some time in Dubai <laughs> to chill out. Uh,
0: That's why they come over here for holidays.
1: Yes. And, and then I can also go back to what we pre- previously spoken about, the the value. I, I suddenly became very aware of the value of money now when I was back here, unlike when I was in Dubai, that every penny I was spending, I was retired, every penny I'm spending is hitting my bottom line sort of thing. So, so that was a little bit challenging, but... The, the social life, um, yeah, that was that was less. But I always knew that that was going to be the case because I was living in a very small village. It has no shops. It's just got a pub. That's it.
0: So how, how did you make the transition, having been immersed in the vibrant Dubai life, to a slower-paced and less dynamic lifestyle in the countryside?
1: Well, of course... The first thing that you you, you need to realise is that I was retiring, so I already knew that I was not going to be working. Um, I knew that I needed to make sure my life was still going to be fulfilled. I was not ever intending to just sit in an armchair staring at the TV all day. Um, so I did all the, the normal things that people do. I came back and I decorated my house and I sorted out my garden. And I found that actually my days were very full of doing things that I would not normally be been able to do before, all those little jobs that you never have time to do. It's amazing just how many there are. Uh, and I found that certainly in the, the first few months or so, um, my days were completely full with doing all of those things that I could do. But I could also quite easily say, actually, I don't need to do that today. I can do that tomorrow because I've got plenty of time, and you know, weekends didn't exist anymore. Which was, I used to find that quite amusing. We I, I used to, I lose track of days because your life is not guided by your Sunday to, to to Thursday or whatever in in Dubai. Every day is is the same, but different in terms of what you're doing. So that was great, and uh, and then an opportunity arose where I could go and do some delivery driving for a supermarket. Something I would never have thought of. But uh, hey, I thought, well, this is a great opportunity to to drive around the beautiful countryside that I'm living in. Uh, I love driving anyway. It's a great opportunity to meet people because I'm meeting different people every day. Everybody likes to have a little chat on the doorstep. So that was great fun. And It was still part of my retirement plan in as much of making sure all of the stresses in my life were gone because I had a very relaxed life driving around in a van, (laughs) delivering to people and having a lot of fun. But you'll find that you're going to have to find time to put those things into your life because you're doing so many other things all of the time. It's amazing just how how your days are filled up. Um, I'm absolutely loving it.
0: It sounds idyllic. I can't wait to retire. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, it, it's, it's wonderful, really.
0: And now, yeah. what do you miss most about living in Dubai? And what parts took you some time to get used to? I'm thinking, for example, safety. You could leave your car unlocked and spend the day in the Dubai Mall and come back and your car is in one piece and it's still there where you left it. You wouldn't dream of doing that in England, right?
1: Uh, correct. Uh, but also I didn't dream of doing that in Dubai either. I, I, accept, <laughs> I accept that you could, absolutely. Yes, I take your point um, that uh, safety was something which I remember saying to friends of mine when I first moved out to Dubai, they said, oh, you're in the Middle East. Is it, is it not dangerous? And, you know, you're very close to Iran and Iraq. And, and I was going, actually, Dubai to me seems the safest place in the world. But you're absolutely Right. Back here, you do have to be very careful.
0: Okay, Lawrence. So, what advice would you give to those who are thinking so many times of going home but feel afraid to do so?
1: First of all, don't be afraid. The thing to do is plan for it, because it will happen at some point. Whenever you come out, you know that you will be coming back home at some point. So, so plan for it. You'll know when it's the right time to do it. Um, In my my case, with retirement, um, after 10 years of having a great time as an expat, I made up my mind that working for CETA was going to be my last job. So when that job finished, I was always going to retire whenever that happened. I didn't make the decision then, but I made the decision that it was going to be my last job. I was told once that I would know when it was time to retire. And I didn't quite understand what people meant when they said that. But when it happened, I knew that the time had come for me to come back. Um, so you'll you know when it's time to go. If you plan for it, it's, it's fine. Your expat experience is just that. It's an experience as part of your life's journey. At the end of the day, your home is still your home and you'll be, you'll be going back to it.
0: That's a lovely way of putting it, Lawrence. And how did Dubai change you? Does it now feel like it was a snapshot of your life?
1: I don't think it really changed me. I mean, it gave me an opportunity to do things that I would never have had the opportunity to do before. Yes, it was an amazing experience, my time in Dubai, but I would never consider it to be just a a snapshot in my life. It was a big piece of my life. And and Dubai will stay with, with me forever.
0: And out of all your memories about Dubai, which is your best memory?
1: Well, I particularly like the mosque call to prayer. And the first time I heard it go off, it made me jump out of my skin (laughs) because I I had no idea what it was then. But it became part of my daily life, which I missed whenever I was out of the country.
0: It's very soothing and it's very distinctive of Dubai, the call to prayer. It's it's beautiful.
1: Yes, I, I agree. It is very soothing. And I wish it was still part of my life now, but, but I don't live anywhere near a mosque here.
0: And finally, Lawrence, what do you think you contributed to Dubai as an expat, as a guest in this country?
1: Apart from working hard and giving 100 and, percent and I hope doing a good job, one, one particularly pleasant memory I have was being able to recommend a couple of members of my team who were working in Africa uh, for vacant positions in Dubai. Uh, They had excellent potential, but the opportunities in their home country were actually non-existent. They were actually successful in their application and they brought their families over to Dubai and frankly have gone on from strength to strength ever since. Dubai for them really became the land of opportunity.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. I've heard so many stories similar to that. And it's so nice for expats to be able to give back to other expats as well.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. It was great. I mean, he this guy was a really good guy. And but he wasn't going any further where he was um, in, in his own home country. The the opportunities just weren't there. So I, I felt, you know, quite well, they say pride comes before a fall. But I feel quite proud of, of the fact that I was able to give him that opportunity and uh, changed his and, life. Uh, literally, it did literally change his life. Yes, it did.
0: That's really great. Lawrence, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your life experiences with us. I love your inspirational messages and it's been really interesting to hear about your moving back process and some good advice there as well for new expats.
1: Well, I hope I've helped somebody in some ways. Uh, Thank you very much.
0: Thank you to Lawrence for joining us for this episode in the Behind the Scenes series. If you have any questions for Lawrence about moving back home, contact us on info at sculpting.com and he will personally get back to you. We are back on Monday with the great Ford Fightback series, which focuses on the financial advisor industry. So join us for that as we continue focusing on the expat journey in Dubai. Have a lovely weekend and see you next week.